Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible. I'm Evan. And I'm Aaron. And this is a podcast where we read through the Bible together every year and talk about what we learned along the way. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and look up the Grove Church in Marysville, Washington. You can find our plan there. And we also have the plan available on our website, grove.church. And dear listeners, if you're jumping in, today we are on day 141 in the plan, so you can start there. Yeah, and as usual, if you have any, uh, I felt like I was a little bit slow to pick up my cue. I apologize. Hey, you know, but if okay. you have questions, we want to answer them. Unfortunately, we didn't get a question in this week, so we don't have any questions to answer at the end, which makes me really sad. So I'm crying. If you've got questions, make sure to send them our way because we love to answer those questions for you. There's three ways you can send us those uh, deep, thought-provoking, challenging questions or the fun ones. Uh, the first way is an email. The email address is info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line a podcast question. Or you can DM us on social media. We have got two accounts, one on Facebook, one on Instagram, both by the handle of the Grove CH. Uh, all one word. Uh, that way you can direct message us there. We get those questions and from there, and then we'll take time to answer them. But not this week because we didn't have any. All right. Well, listeners, this week we are continuing on with uh, First Kings. I mean, we're basically starting First Kings. We did a little bit last week, but you know, the title of this episode will be First Kings Part One. <laughs> so there you go. What? You're a liar. I am. I, I Here's the deal. Listen, Evan titles all these. So if you ever have an issue with the titles, you can blame Evan. I used to do fun titles. And then what I realized is looking at the data that they get, they get way more hits if I just title a book of the Bible, like what we're talking well, yeah, about. It, it makes sense after the hindsight, right? Cause yeah, because people are looking yeah. of what people are looking for. And so that's how we've actually grown the podcast. And some of you have made that comment. So to this day, our most popular episodes are, I think it's the book of Daniel and yep. the book of Job is just what they're called. Yep. And every time people, cause it's the, like the second book of Job one we ever did. And every time people listen, I'm like, no, listen to the new ones. <laughs> they're so much better. But they listen to the old, like right before 2020 with bad microphones one, but ah, what are you going to do? All right. Well, listeners, this week we are, it's pretty much all temple on my, on my side. I don't yep. know. I don't know on Aaron's side if we get out no, of that. No, it's aftermath of temple and then Solomon's wisdom. That's true. So uh, speaking of Solomon's wisdom, we do wrap, we do start off this week wrapping up kind of what we talked about, what we started last week talking about Solomon getting wisdom. Uh, at the end of chapter three, we get, and this is, I mean, is it the most famous Solomon story? If it's not, it's way up there. But if it's not, it should be. Yeah. So Solomon is reigning as king uh, and two prostitutes come to him. And one is saying that, hey, I had a baby. Um, and then in the middle of the night, this other woman, she took her baby who had died and she swapped him. And so when I woke up, there was like my, this dead baby was here and I realized this wasn't my baby. And then the other woman is like, no way, this has been my kid the whole time. And so they're going back and forth and arguing. And obviously back then, you know, no DNA, there's no, really no... Tr- way to prove this. And so Solomon says, okay, okay, okay. I can't, I can't decide. Bring me a sword. We'll cut the baby in half and each of you get a half. And Brilliant. Then, yeah. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> exactly. That's where my mind went first too, Solomon. Uh, but what he's doing there. So the one woman says, basically the, the one woman is horrified at this. And she says, no, just let the other woman have the baby. And the other woman is like, okay, yeah, fine. We'll both get half, whatever. Deal. And so Solomon's like, okay, well, that, I mean, obviously the woman who cares about this is the mother. And then we're told that all of Israel marveled because they saw that the wisdom of God was with him. So there you go. Listen, I would have said the same thing. So let's just be honest. Yeah. I mean, we're going to cut <laughs> Gideon in half, but there no, no, you go. I, I w- no, no, I, I would have yeah. come up with the same answer to solutions. Not my own kid. I'm just saying. Gideon yeah. is my son. One of my, or is one of my three kids. I saw, um, 
I saw a woman get cut in half when I was a kid and then, but she got put back together and uh, it was, it was happening inside of a box. I got, but I got no words for you. It was bro. Lance Burton, master magician. He was a, he was a Vegas show when I was a kid, but there you go. Anyway, we're going, we're going, On past that note, that, we're going past that. This was not a magic trick, everybody, just to be clear. That's well, yeah, the, 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 the cutting in half never happened. That was just a, that was an empty threat by Solomon. And I say empty cause I don't think he would have actually gone through with it. I think he would have figured something else out, but luckily, luckily we don't have to know whether or not that was the case. Uh, so we skip first Kings chapter four and we're going to chapter five. And then this is where we see the temple really get moving. So, and like I said, this is going to be pretty much the entirety of what I'm talking about today. Uh, King Hiram of Tyre reaches out to Solomon to keep the good relationship that he had with David going. So Solomon is thankful and he reaches out to ask for some timber to begin construction of the temple. So big, great cedars is the idea. Um, The logs are so big that they're not going to get, you can't put them in carts. He's going to make, he's going to cut down the logs. He's going to make rafts bring them down uh, essentially the side of the Mediterranean over in through, uh, I forgot which river runs into um, runs into the sea, but over that one and then bring them into Jerusalem that way. So that's the plan. And it's, it's, it's a good deal. Uh, and Hiram is feeling pretty good right now. So it says in first Kings chapter five, verse seven, as soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, blessed be the Lord this day who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people. Uh, and he uses the personal name of God there. He uses Yahweh when he's talking about this. So that Hiram is, Hiram's an all around good guy. You know, he helps out, he helps out a ton here um, and he gets rewarded for helping out. Is he happy with that reward? We'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out after I get Stay the very tuned. end. Uh, and so as he continues going, uh, Hiram gets a move on. He starts sending the cedars down to Jerusalem. Solomon then institutes forced labor to go up and assist in the work. Uh, and we find out later that these were non-Israelites. So because when you first read it, you're like, whoa, he's just like, conscript- what a jerk. like conscripting, conscripting Israelites to do this. Uh, no, he's using the Canaanites who are still living within the land of Israel. And he has them basically in shifts. So there's three shifts. Uh, they go up and they work and they're helping to cut down the trees for a month. And then they come down for two months. And that's kind of the way he does it. So even even in a world with forced labor, it's, it's a pretty it's a pretty okay deal. Uh, As we move on to Chronicles chapter two, this passage tells the same story. However, there's a much larger focus on what exactly is going to be done with said temple that Hiram is helping out with. Uh, And so we get this passage that says, behold, I am about to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God, and dedicate it to him for the burning of incense and sweet spice of incense of sweet spices before him and for the regular arrangement of the showbread and for burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbaths and the new moons and the appointed feasts of the Lord, our God as ordained forever for Israel. The house that I'm going to build will be great for our God is greater than all gods, but who is able to build a house since heaven and even the highest heaven cannot contain him. Who am I to build a house for him except as a place to make offerings before him? So now send me a man skilled to work in gold, silver, bronze, and iron, and in purple, crimson, and blue fabrics, trained also in engraving, to be with the skilled workers who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. So there you go. You get this. And you're going to see this all throughout today, that the the writer of Chronicles or the writers of Chronicles are very much longing for the days of the temple. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, And so when you get to descriptions of the temple, it's less about describing the building and it's more about describing what took place inside of the temple from the the passages of Chronicles, whereas Kings is much more kind of just a historical account of 
here's what happened. Here's exactly how many cubits the temple was and stuff like that. Uh, Chronicles as a whole takes a, it takes a slightly more spiritual tone to Kings is mm-hmm. kind of the way I would describe it. Um, and so remember, and this is important, Chronicles has the full hindsight of the fall of Jerusalem and the return to Jerusalem afterwards. Chronicles is is probably written, um, if not by Ezra, in that same period of time. Uh, and Ezra and Nehemiah, listeners, if you if you weren't with us with us last year, they were the second group of Israelites who returned to Jerusalem after the ex, after the exile. And so, yeah, I don't know. It, it it does feel kind of sad to in that context of re- when you read the passages in Chronicles where they talk about how amazing the temple was. It's kind of sad because remember there is no temple and they're working on a new one. And then we're going to see what happens when the first temple is built and we'll also see this is months from now, but we'll see what doesn't happen when the second temple is built and you kind of I don't know. The the whole thing just kind of reads as a as a little bit of a bummer for me. But there there you go. It's true. Uh we get to 1 Kings chapter 6 now. And this sees construction begin in earnest. Uh, we're given some beautiful descriptions of what the temple looks like. Uh, and here's the deal. I, and I, I cannot stress this enough. Try to imagine this as you read it. Um, it's 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 boring, right? Because you're reading about, and then this was built, and then this is the way. It was. But like like every time you read one of these things, just like close your eyes and imagine what this would have looked like. Imagine what it would have been like to stand in the temple and look at all of this. Also, if you have a study Bible or look up pictures on the internet of what the temple would have looked like. Um, they're, they're, they're just incredible. It's, it's, it's a beautiful building that Solomon is building right now. And then in verse 11, we get this word of Yahweh to Solomon. Now, the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you were building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will not forsake my people, Israel. So Solomon does that. You know, he walks in the ways of the Lord all of his life. Yeah, yeah he does na- a great job. Yeah, and the nation of Israel does that. They walk in, and that's why, uh, you know, Jerusalem never falls and Israel exists uh, today as yep, a uh, exactly. as an extension of the Davidic monarchy. So there you Yay. go. Just kidding. Israel does exist today, but they, it is not as an extension of the Davidic monarchy. Uh, so we go to Second Chronicles. In this passage, we also see the exact site of the temple. So it's pretty close to identical to the other passage, but we get this added... Um, this added detail, which I never, I never caught this before, Aaron. But the uh, the temple is built on the site where God's wrath stopped, and David bought the threshing, the threshing floor. That's where the temple is constructed. So I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool connection. So of Ornan the Jez, of Ornan the Jeb, the Jebusite. Jeez, couldn't say that. But uh, if you remember, a few weeks ago we talked about. God gives David three options after the census. Yeah. He picks the pestilence and then it goes, it goes. I mean, there's just a bunch of pestilence and a bunch of people die. It stops specifically at one place and David buys the land and, and he offers sacrifices, yep, and builds he, an altar, offers sacrifices. Yeah. Exactly. And that's where the temple's built. Uh, we go jump back over to First Kings in chapter six. And this is just more and more descriptions of the temple. Again, use your imagination, look up pictures. This is awesome. Build it with Legos, you know, do, I don't know, do something fun. Yeah. One Draw of the, it out. Build it with Legos, that'd be awesome. Uh, one, one of the things that it was interesting to me, so he was, it's talking about how they're using cedar planks to line the walls of the temple. And then after the temple is lined with the cedars, they overlay all of it with gold. Um, and so it actually reminded me of, and this is where I would say, again, use your imagination or use places that you've been. Um, so my wife and I, we got the opportunity to go to Europe on vacation um, last year. And so we went to Venice and it was the, kind of like their first stop and it was the first cathedral. And so already I was pretty like, 
wowed just like walking up to it because we just don't have that here in the states particularly on the west coast we don't have anything that's even remotely old nope um and so but then walking if it's in, old it's falling apart <laughs> yeah and and old like in washington state old is uh um, like the extant built extant. That's not the right way to say it. The buildings that are still standing that are old are like 1870. <laughs> like it's just not, it's not that impressive anymore. It's true. Uh, but anyway, so we walked into, uh, it's called San Marco and it, I mean, it's gold. Like the inside of it is completely lined with gold. And like, I wasn't sure like what I was looking at. And then you're listening to the tour thing and it's like, oh no, yeah, this is straight up gold. Um, and I was, I, I was just completely wowed by it. And it was, it's a cool for me because and then as I read these descriptions of the temple, it kind of just took me back and like, mm. oh yeah, this would have been incredibly impressive. Like yeah. when you, when you actually see something like that, where it's massive and it's just all shining gold, it looks really cool. Yep. So uh, again, listeners, I cannot stress enough. Um, even though the passages describing the temple can be a little bit boring, really try and use your imagination and just think about what this meant to the people of Israel at the time. Yeah. Or, I mean, if you have a study, I mean, we say it all the time, if you have a study Bible, like I was, I was, cause we, when I was reading through this, there is a page where you see uh, a picture of what the, yeah. the temple would have looked like. And you see who would have been the priest at the time, like standing. So you get a, a, a size comparison um, or, I mean, even, I mean, that's the beauty of the internet right now. So at the very least, look up a picture on your phone or something so you can kind of visualize what you're seeing described being built. Um, it'll help just enhance it and and make it a little bit more real, I guess. Yeah. Not not in theory, but a real thing. So Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. Uh, we go back to 1 Kings in chapter 7. It shifts over to the building of Solomon's palace, which is right next to the temple. Um, as you would expect, it's incredibly ornate. Uh, it's larger than the temple. So, you know, Make of that what you will. So <laughs> I used to give Solomon a lot more guff for that. And then I kind of realized like, you know, I guess it makes like, if you're having a bunch of people living in a place, it would have to be larger. So it is, I don't, That's I don't, true. I don't fault him too much for that anymore. Uh, but we also get this side note uh, where in chapter seven, verse eight, his own house where he was to dwell in the other court of the hall was like a work was like of like workmanship. Solomon had also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken in marriage. We just get a little side note that Solomon had taken a wife in marriage. Um, in fairness, Solomon had so many wives that this pretty much the only way you can describe them is just as as quick footnotes. Uh, oh, so uh, sad. Yeah, you think David had a lot of wives. And in fairness, he did. Uh, <laughs> Solomon is, Solomon has, I don't even know what the number would be. Is it like... 500% more? No, 5,000%? Oh, I don't even I don't, know. I don't know how to calculate it. I'm not good at math, listeners. But basically, yeah, David has, is it seven wives that he ends up with before it's all said and done? Uh, Yeah, six or seven, right? Yeah, Solomon has 300. So it's just Solomon. Not, and we're not even talking about his concubines. Yeah, but between the wives and concubines, it's close to 1,000. So, so crazy. the guy is just, you know, He's got a problem. Uh, and the first uh, step, step is admitting that you have a problem. And he he does at the end of his life, I think. So, But we'll get to that in a few weeks. Uh, so 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 15 through 422. Uh, this is the corresponding Chronicles passage. And it, it doesn't have any major differences. It's interestingly less detailed. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. There's whole sections of Kings that are not included in the Chronicles passage. Uh, jumping back over to Kings, we see in chapter eight, this is the, this is the biggest deal with the temple. The Ark of the Covenant is brought in. Uh, and so, and 
Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a big moment, right? Like think back to when the Ark is finally returned to Jerusalem and how that's just a giant moment for all of Israel. Of course, the biggest moment for the temple is the Ark of the Covenant being placed inside. So that's what we get to see happen. Uh, We also get an interesting point when it comes to dating kings, so dating the book. There's a reference to, and the pole, it's describing the poles holding the Ark and it says, and they are still there to this day. Um, So what does that tell us? It tells us that all of Kings was not written at the same time uh, because, and this is spoilers listeners, uh, when you get to the end of Kings, the the poles would not have been there. The temple is destroyed. The city of Jerusalem is, uh, is sacked and everything. Yeah. It, everything just goes super poorly. Uh, and so what this tells us is that Kings is probably more of a collection of things that are written either right after or even during the reigns of some of the kings, and it's compiled and it's edited over times. Chronicles was probably written at once, giving kind of like a full history of Israel and using probably using kings as one of the sources of bringing all of that together. Uh, kings was probably written by multiple authors over generations of the Israeli slash Judean monarchy. So there you go. Uh, the temple... Uh, sorry, after the temple is completed, we also see that this happens, and this is in chapter 8, verse 10. Uh, and when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. So basically, we get God's approval, right? The temple is completed, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord fills the temple. This is a massive moment. And again, it's I, I'm just going to spoil it because we're going to get there in a little bit. But or it's, I, I feel like by the time we get there, you might have forgotten about this, beloved listeners. Not you, beloved listener, because you have a He's great referring memory. referring to me. But every other beloved listener, except for you, who's listening right in this moment. Uh, but anyway, uh, when the second temple is built, they finish it, and the glory of the Lord does not fill the temple. Yeah. So I think there's kind of this, when we look through the hindsight of Chronicles, you can see this kind of longing for what the temple once was. And yeah. even though they've built or at the at maybe started the temple, depending on when you think Chronicles was written, um, there is kind of this acknowledgement that even though we're moving back to temple worship, it's not going to be the same. Um, the Chronicles passage in chapter five is pretty much identical, except it tells us that the priests were offering songs of thanksgiving to Yahweh when his glory fills the temple. So we get a little bit more detail about what exactly the priests were doing in that moment. Uh, back over to first Kings eight in verses 12 through 21, Solomon gives thanks to the temple and blesses the Lord. He also acknowledges that God is fulfilling the promise that he made to David. So kind of just a, an overall prayer of benediction there. Uh, the Chronicles passage has no major differences. Going back to 1 Kings 8, starting in verse 22, we get a beautiful prayer of dedication. Uh, this is one, this is a, one of my favorite passages of the Bible. It's actually really, it, this is, for my money, this is one of Solomon's, this might be his high point for me. Uh, the asking for wisdom is also like, that's great as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I love what Solomon says when he dedicates the temple. So we'll read the first passage here and then we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant, David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand you have fulfilled this day. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep your servant David, my father, 
uh, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way and walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open that may, your eyes may open night and day towards this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you shall listen to prayer that your servant offers in this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of the people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear, forgive. Uh, so yeah, really cool. I love I love the way that this is uh, that this is structured. Essentially, uh, the, the, there's a couple points. Solomon says this a few times um, that he's building a temple, but no house can contain you, and that's a great point. And I, I love that Solomon actually understands that, right? Because yeah. it's this is not like this is where Yahweh lives, and this is it. Like, no, Solomon understands that this is a place of offering sacrifice. This is a place of an altar, but it's not a place to contain uh, the God. It's not it's not his dwelling place the way that other religions of the time would view their their temples. So uh, a cool idea there. I also love that Solomon gets at the idea, and, and you see this pretty much th- all throughout his benediction, that the temple is a place of repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you keep going, because obviously it keeps going past that, it's a bunch of different examples of sin and repentance. Um, and it shows that the altar, and by extension, the temple, is a place of both, of both personal and corporate repentance. Um, so he gives examples of when a, when someone sins against another person and brings an offering before the Lord, he prays that the Lord would hear that offering. But he also says when the people of Israel have sinned and bring offerings before the Lord, let them hear. So it's not just about repentance of personal sin that you commit against someone else. It is also about repentance of the corporate sin of the nation. Uh, and then Solomon also acknowledges that everyone sins. So this isn't just for the big stuff, right? This is, And, and I think this is something that we can kind of get... I don't know, I've been going on this like deep dive of like what really was the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant because I think sometimes we kind of just think that they were both talking about the same mm. things which isn't which isn't true right yeah. the old covenant has it has different promises it has different outcomes as well um, and so I, I like little passages like this where because I think sometimes we're under the impression in like in modern Christianity that the ancient Israelites thought like, yeah, well, we're all, we can all be perfect and we can like earn our salvations through the old covenant. Um, no, that's not the case. Like they are also relying on the forgiveness of God yep. in this moment. The covenant looked different and obviously like the new covenant is better. The one that Christ ushers in is, is amazing. But um, there wasn't this idea that like, yeah, we just never sin and it's great. No, everyone, they acknowledge that everyone sins and they acknowledge that they're all relying on the forgiveness of Yahweh. Um, we also see this passage, which I thought was really interesting. And so as Solomon is going through his examples of people offering prayers, he says, likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this house here in heaven, your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you in order that the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as you do as as do your people Israel, that they may make, that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. And again, I think one of the other misconceptions that we have is that um, 
God was only concerned with the Israelites in the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant, that everyone else, like there was no other people who worshiped the Lord. Um, so A, we see that's not true because there's biblical characters that we have that aren't Israelites that worship God, even after um, even after Moses and, and those sort of things as well. The other thing though, and this is important, is that evangelism looked different. And when I say that word, that that has a very specific context today, right? When we say evangelism, we talk about going out and sharing the gospel to people who haven't heard it. Um, and so Christianity Day, we're very outward focused in the sense of the way that we show the world who God is, is by going out and telling them. Um, in Israel, there, there was still a value to showing the world who God was, but it was more inward, right? The idea was people would hear about what God had done, about what was happening in this nation of Israel, and they would come to Israel, they would see the temple. And we see this happen during the reign of Solomon, that people are hear about the amazing things that are happening. And we you, you kind of imagine that when we get to the New Testament and you hear about these, they're called God-fearers, but it's people who worship Yahweh who aren't Jews and who aren't a part of the temple system. You can imagine that many of those people probably got their start. Obviously, these are ancestors, but in these moments, right, where they hear about what God had done, they go to the temple, they visit, and they return back to the home countries talking about like, hey, like <laughs> this one true God that the Israelites have, there's, some, there's something to this. So there you go. Uh, the Chronicles passage is in chapter six. There's no major differences. As we continue on, uh, chapter 8 of 1 Kings ends with Solomon offering up a prayer of, of benediction and a massive sacrifice. I mean, massive. Look at the numbers. Yep. <laughs> There's a ton of sacrifices that happen uh, to commemorate the temple. Uh, the Chronicles passage gives us... So the Chronicles passage is mostly the same, but it gives us this really cool extra detail of what happened after Solomon finished praying. And it says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So again, this happens. Uh, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord. Poor priests. They just, they haven't been able, they haven't been able to do their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's just the glory of the Lord filling the temple. Uh, and when the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. Um, Which if you were with us for the last two episodes of the Psalms, you would have heard us say that a lot. So there you go. It's very true. Uh, And so finally, we get uh, the end of my portion today. We're in 1 Kings chapter 9. And this section is a bit of a bummer to read in hindsight. So after the temple is finished, Yahweh appears to Solomon and he has this to say, Uh, And as for you, if you walk before me as David, your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. And the house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight and Israel will become a proverb. Hey, that's kind of funny. And a byword (laughs) among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins and everyone passing by will be astonished and and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this 
land and to his house. But they but they will say, because the, they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought disaster on them. And remember, this is the king's passage. This is not the chronicle's passage. So this is not describing something that has happened, which this is this is what happens. Um, in Kings, this is looking forward. This is a promise of God, a promise of God saying this is going to happen. And so when you read Kings and Chronicles, you're looking at this from different perspectives. This one is a prophecy, but the Chronicles one, when they're writing these things, they're they understand that these have happened. Um, the Chronicles passage contains more language about corporate prayer and repentance, which again makes sense in hindsight. Uh, Solomon. Chronicles is very much aware of the fact that it's not just Solomon who fails, it's the nation of Israel um, who over the generations fails. And so it makes sense that in this passage, they're also talking about the idea that it's not just the kings who turn away from Israel, it is the people who, I'm sorry, the kings who turn away from Yahweh, uh, it is the people who turn away from God as well. Uh, and then finally, we get this little footnote at the end, uh, chapter 9, verses 10 through 14. Uh, this last passage shows Solomon rewarding King Hiram for everything. So remember, he's the guy who sent down all, basically all the wood that was used to build the temple. And I think the palace as well uh, is coming from King Hiram. It took 20 years for everything to be completed. So this is not a short amount of time we've been covering right now. It's true. It feels like it, but it's not. Yeah. And so as a reward, uh, King Hiram is given 20 cities and he comes and he takes a look at them and he's like, oh, these kind of suck. Thanks for nothing. And that's it. <laughs> like, that's just where it ends. It's just like, yeah. And Hiram saw the cities and he's like, well, Solomon, these aren't that great. And then he pays Solomon some money and then and then that's the it. So that, that's it. So I kind of, kind of, about, I mean, Hiram's a good guy. So I don't know. I don't know if he's being greedy with the cities. Like maybe they were great cities. Obviously we can't go to see him, but I'm, I'm intend to trust this Hiram guy. Mm-hmm. So maybe Solomon kind of gave him, you know, not some great ones, but who knows? Uh, well, that wraps it up for my portion this week, but we will be jumping over, continuing our like you said, basically we're all temple this week, although we're jumping into some Proverbs as well. So that's exciting. And a couple of Psalms. And Psalms too. Oh my goodness. Because Solomon wrote a couple. That's true. Yeah. All the wisdom lit. Uh, but before we do, we do want to take a moment to remind you to leave a five-star review on uh, particularly Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, that's where it really helps us get the word out there to people. And on Apple Podcasts, not yet on Spotify, ugh. Uh, but on Apple Podcasts, you can re- leave a written review. And if you do, we will read it on the air just because we're nice guys. And like we're doing for... Alicia G. Uh, although that's not that's not her user or handle. Um, it's older Gen X exclamation point is the handle. There you go. But uh, she does say this, it has, it has taken me 12 to 16 months to accidentally, all caps, find the five-star review option, exclamation point. Hey, better late than never. Hey, thank you. But you got on. You got to leave us one. Even if it was an accident, uh, you found it. It says, I was looking for an old show on Hagar and ref- to refer to a friend. Um, your show is truly a good podcast. You two young, cool dudes bring the Bible toward uh, forward and easy to understand. I'm glad to know that I'm still cool. Um, that's really helpful and encouraging because sometimes I feel old and outdated. This is, so. I was, I, as I was reading this, I was like, this is the first time I've ever been described as both young and cool <laughs> in the same sentence. Oh, this is awesome. I don't know if that's funny or sad, but it's both. Uh, easy to understand. It is, it is terrific. Uh, more good things to say, but please continue to do all that you do. May God continue to bless you and your families continue to move forward and endure. Uh, Alicia, thank you for that review. I'm I'm very humbled and thankful that you stumbled upon uh, the ability to leave us a review. Uh, and maybe you're like Alicia and you're trying to figure it out. Uh, just keep trying uh, because you'll figure it out one day and eventually and it'll be the right timing. So um, 
Yes, we're continuing the podcast. We actually are jumping into Second Chronicles 8, which is just a recap of literally everything Evan just talked about, especially with Hiram's. The Bible response, does that sometimes. Uh, especially because it's Chronicles and Kings. We're kind of seeing both of those, which we've been doing a lot lately. So I, I should interject. There's one resource that both... Aaron and I have been using that is very helpful, but Correct. it's called a Synoptic Harmony of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. Um, if you're into that Puts sort of... Puts them all side by side, yeah. so to speak. So it's really easy for us because you can look at it and then you can see, oh, this is where it's different instead of flipping back and forth and trying to remember what it's saying. So yep. if, if, you're, if you're a nerd like us and you want to really look into the differences, I would recommend that book. Sorry, continue that. Correct. Uh, so Second Chronicles recaps uh, everything we've just talked about right before the review break. Um, and then we jump into First Kings 9. Uh, we read a couple uh, sections out of First Kings here. Um, and really, we get the response uh, from God after the dedication of the temple, after this massive uh, response of sacrifices. Uh, I believe it was like 120,000 sheep and goats, and it was like 100,000 cattle or something like that. It's a lot. It was insane. Uh, but we get God's response here, and I'm going to read this just chapter 9, verse 3 through 9. It says, Then the Lord said to him, referring to Solomon, I have heard your prayer and petition you have made before me. I've consecrated this temple you have built to put my name there forever, for my, or my eyes and my heart will be there at all times. As for you, if you walk before me... So I just love like the stamp of approval. I'm here. I've, I've, I've shown up. I'm committing to this. And then he puts the ball back in Solomon's court. It says, as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked with the heart of integrity and in what is right, doing everything I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised your father, David, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. If you or your sons turn away from following me, and do not keep my commands, my statutes that I have set before you. And if you go and serve other gods and bow and worship to them, <coughs> excuse me, I will cut you off, or cut off Israel from the land I've gave them. I will reject the temple I have sanctified for my name. Israel will become an object of scorn and ridicule among all the peoples. Though this temple is now exalted, everyone who passes by will be appalled and will scoff. They will say, why did the Lord do this and this or to this land and this temple? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of the land of Egypt, they have held on to other gods and bowed in worship to them and served them. Because of this, the Lord brought all this ruin on them. That doesn't happen, which is nice to, to read about. Uh, yeah, no, it's actually, totally actually, it's not true at all. So you get this stamp of approval saying, God's like, okay, I'm in, but now you got to be in. And he forecasts. This is what will happen if you stay committed. This is what's going to happen if you don't stay committed. Um, and I'll leave it to you as a, as a listener to figure out what do you think is going to happen in the future. It's kind of funny. It's one of those things where it reminds me of almost in Joshua, how often you see the phrase, be strong and courageous. It's like in Kings, how often, or at least in the story of Solomon, how often you see the phrase of, uh, you know, hey, if you walk in the statutes yep. of your father David, it's going to be great. Um, I'm, I'm slightly offended that you just read the same passage I did. You just did it in CSB instead of ESV. Because it's like, better. It's like you're trying to just prove something it's better, here. Bro. You know, whatever, whatever. No, here's the beauty of it. It's cute. I don't list, I don't look at the notes ahead of time for what Evan puts in because we use the same uh, platform. So I didn't even... I decided to read it anyways, even though I know you read it just for kids. We, bo we both picked it out as like, this is an important thing to, to single out. Yep. And I think, yeah. And it's, again, you see the repetitive nature in some respects from Kings and Chronicles, but uh, I think it's, yeah, it's it's a pretty brilliant response and you just got to see God's approval. But 
also the weight that's going to come. Um, again, and then we continued reading this. There's going to be repetitiveness where we repeat the towns. Uh, we see a repeat of the towns that Solomon builds for Hiram. Um, and then Hiram's response to not liking them. Uh, and then we also are given this little shot where, uh, where we found out that Solomon married Pharaoh's wife, Pharaoh's daughter, not wife. That um, would have been a scandal. But then he, and I thought it was really interesting because I don't know if I'd picked up on this before, um, but he builds a separate city, which I knew that. But the reason why he builds it is because the holy things of the Lord chose to be in the city of David. It shows for me this recognition that we're not in the same place of, of belief, that we we worship separate gods and he's married to this gal. And yeah. so uh, it's kind of a, it's almost like, go back to what I just read. It's almost like right out the gate, you, like Solomon's just ignorant or making a stupid choice or... Maybe he's trying to provide holiness to the, to the city of David and where God's dwelling, but it is an interesting dynamic where he builds a city for Pharaoh's daughter for her to live. Well, and think about, again, like if we're going back to last week's argument a little bit, um, David is telling Solomon to take power mm-hmm. the way that kings always take power, right? You, you take out all of your political enemies and that's the way you're going to do this. Um, and here Solomon is... I, so <clears throat> remember when David meets Abigail for the first time. And he repents of the sin of almost trying to deliver himself, right? He doesn't trust in the Lord. He is trying to um, deliver his own salvation in that moment. Uh, what is Solomon doing here? When you're making, when you're marrying the uh, the princess of Egypt, that's not something you're doing because you just happen to be traveling to Egypt and then you fall in love. Like, no, this is almost certainly in a, an alliance of marriage, right? And so the idea here is that because you're joining your houses a little bit, then Egypt is going to be willing to defend uh, Israel and vice versa during this time. And so you're, you're almost saying here Solomon working out the salvation of his people outside of God. And again, he's doing things that kings, that all the kings would do during this time. Uh, what He's not doing what David did, which is for the most part, kind of separate what his reign looked like. Not all the time, but obvi- obviously sometimes David <laughs> uh, does some bad things. But Solomon here is is very much doing that. And 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 to, to his detriment, I would say. Yes. I, I think pretty much universally, we all agree with that. Well, and yeah, we see, I mean, and this will, I, I won't skip down to, to like what I would highlight as my application point to it, but Solomon hears from the Lord, is approved by God for building the temple, and then is commanded by God, stay committed to me. Um, and so maybe the intention there is to separate Pharaoh's daughter because he recognizes I've got to maintain the holiness and the standard God has called me. I don't know. All of that to say, he builds a separate house, which shows the awareness that they're not in the same, they're not in alignment with what they believe, uh, which is a big problem. Uh, we jump into First Kings chapter ten, uh, and we get the account of the queen of Sheba coming to see Solomon because she heard of his wisdom and his wealth, uh, and she didn't believe it. She tells him, "I don't believe it, uh, but having seen you, having seen your 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 palace, having heard you, I now believe." Uh, and they do kind of a barter and an exchange of gifts, um, which both or which both say that uh, the gifts that she gave Solomon have never been matched uh, in in all of his lifetime. And we also see Solomon's response was to give her uh, an abundance out of his treasuries and then everything her hearts desired. Um, so we didn't withhold. So there's this un like this not a one upping, but there is a gift to receive a gift, a partnership, a an honorable bartership that happened. Uh, between Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, um, and and we see uh, in Second Chronicles as we continue reading, it's just a recap of the same uh, Queen of Sheba uh, and the visit she had with Solomon. 
Um, there's not bit major changes or differences there. Uh, we get uh, the account. We go back to First Kings uh, chapter ten, verses fourteen to twenty-nine. Um, then we also see this a similar recap here in Second Chronicles readings of nine chapter chapter nine verse thirteen to twenty-eight, as well as chapter one verses fourteen through seventeen. Um, and we're given a glimpse into Solomon's wealth. Uh, and so here's just a snapshot of this. It's just insane to me. Uh, it says this in chapter ten verse twenty-one, starting in verse twenty-one. It says all of King Solomon's drinking cups were gold. Sure. And, and all, Why not? All of all of the house uh, of and all the utensils of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. There was no silver since it was considered as nothing in Solomon's time, which that that verse alone is just <laughs> mind blowing. Silver? Come on. That's garbage. I hardly know her. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that's funny. Uh, verse 22 says, for the king had ships in Tarshish at the sea of Hiram's fleet, um, with Hiram's fleet, sorry, and once every three years, the ships of Tarshish would arrive bearing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Uh, so that's kind of fun, apes and peacocks. That's kind of rad. Um, fun ki- animals. King Solomon, verse 23, surpassed all of the kings of the world in riches and wisdom. The whole world wanted an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. Every man would bring his annual tribute, items of silver and gold, clothing, weapons, spices, and horses and mules. Solomon accumulated 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen and stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common as in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar as abundant as sycamore in the Judean foothills. Um, Solomon is, was, was a rich dude. He was well off. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and we see... Uh, just a snapshot of that. We get a picture of that. Um, and we see it trickle down into the Israelites as well. We'll see as we jump into uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, um, we f- the first portion we'll see Solomon put uh, leaders and officials in place of position during his reign. Uh, and then it jumps into the section where it's going to show the provision and wealth of, for the people of Israel and Judah. Uh, and, I think, and I think it can be summed up in three words, eating, drinking, rejoicing. That was the era Eat, drink and be merry. that Solomon ushered in because of the wealth. Um, and then we see uh, in chapter four here, uh, the idea about, or the, just the details of Solomon's gifts and wisdom. Uh, and I'm going to read this section for us as well. Uh, it says verse, in verse 29, chapter four, God gave Solomon wisdom, very great insight and understanding as vast as the sand of the seashore, on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was, was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone, wiser than Ethan the Israelite, the Heman, and Heman, Calcol, and Darda, sons of Mahol. His reputation extended to all the surrounding nations. Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about trees from cedar in Lebanon to the hyssop growing out of the wall. He also spoke about animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. Emissaries of all people sent by every king on earth who had heard of his wisdom came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. So you'll see a couple things here. Like as you're, as you're kind of reading, you're almost getting, uh, you, I kind of can sense like, okay, Sol- the, the reign of Solomon's coming to an end. We're getting kind of the major recaps. You'll notice that there's not a war that happened. It really is. Solomon's reign was a, a time of peace, of prosperity, of building the temple, of building a massive palace. Um and and falling victim to a whole lot of uh, luxuries and and things that wealth brings, um, and so we'll, as we continue reading throughout this plan right now in this stretch of Solomon's life, you'll get some of those pictures. But uh, it's a pretty simple like segue. I actually like the way it ended and uh, our our narrative portion, our historical portion, uh, talking about what Solomon did. Solomon spoke in proverbs. He has songs, uh, and so we actually then shift into a couple psalms. 
uh, that Solomon wrote. Speaking of Proverbs and Psalms. <laughs> it's like they would have planned it this way. Uh, and so we actually read two Psalms this week, Psalm 72, uh, which is titled A Prayer for the King. Uh, and it's a royal psalm, obviously, because it's talking about a, a, the kingship and divinity or as being God's divine leader. Uh, and it prays that the heir of David, specifically starting with Solomon, uh, might have success in the task that God has assigned the king. And in essence, ruling God's people, leading and judging, caring for the poor and needy, all with righteousness and justice, with the hope of bringing blessing to all the nations. Um, you'll also find this this tone and this undertone of, which you, you'll find in most of the Old Testament, but some more specifically here, you'll find that it's also anchored to the future hope of when the Messiah arrives. Um, so that's Psalm 72, uh, but it is a psalm that Solomon writes, uh, in a sense, it's a prayer for himself, but also for the heir in the line of David, uh, which is unfortunately short-lived. But I won't get there yet. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, it's it's a it's a train wreck. Yeah. Um, it's, and then we see we'll read Psalm one twenty seven, which I'm just going to read this one um, because it's written by Solomon, and I find it fitting because we just kind of wrapped up the temple being built, uh, and so the you'll you'll see why I think it's fitting. Psalm one twenty seven, five verses says this: Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over in vain. Because we just saw the temple being built, so I thought it was fitting to read. Uh, Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. Uh, and so you see some of the wisdom of, of Solomon, even in this song where it celebrates really ultimately God's provision and reward and faithfulness uh, for the one who stays faithful, the one who stays committed, and also perspective. Uh, and I think you see this even in some of the conversations, Evan, that you already had regarding uh, Solomon's recognition that the, the temple that he had established to being built was not the permanent dwelling of the Lord. He even referred to God in, in heaven where you dwell. He knew that the temple was not the place where God was going to dwell, but where God would show up and reside among his people. Uh, and so I just think you see this, this perspective that's really, really, really good uh, and really vibrant there. Uh, and so those are the Psalms we're going to read this week. And then also, I was going to just a quick interjection. If you have sons later in life, they are not quivers. They're not <laughs> nope. arrows in your quiver. Nope, they're not. Don't think. They're thorns in your flesh. You, no, I'm just kidding. you listener who just had a son born to you in your <laughs> so 40s, bad. not an arrow. So get, get it out of there. It's a javelin at so best. Bad. Um, this Evan's on the verge of having a baby, or his wife is on the verge of having a baby. So, and we don't uh, know, we don't know, boy or girl. So, no. we'll we'll find out if I get an arrow. You'll in, find out if you get a reward. In my or, quiver or no, not. I'm just kidding. Um, so then we jump in Proverbs, and and Solomon wrote the first twenty four chapters of Proverbs, uh, and so we're going to spend the bulk of next week. I believe it's actually all of next week in Proverbs. Um, and then we'll see a couple of the books that we'll hit up the coming week after that. Um, but we start the first four this week. Uh, and I love the first, I think it's the first seven or eight, maybe 11 Proverbs, where it's not like one-liners, but it is kind of a, a, a paragraph at a time that takes on a theme or or kind of captures a thought. Um, and so I'm just going to kind of bullet point break these down. I have a few that I'll read, sections that I'll read from the first four Proverbs, but um, they will cover a wide range of topics. Ultimately, uh, we see in the first chapter, the first seven verses, which is the first section I'm going to read, it gives you an intro prologue overview to Proverbs and the, the book of Proverbs in its entirety, especially the ones written by Solomon. 
uh, and says this, chapter 1, verse 1, verse through 7, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity. That's one of those things that's like, practice what you preach, bro. Anyways, well, you know. uh, verse four says, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning. Let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise with the fools despise wisdom and discipline. Uh, and so that's the that's the intro to the book where Pro- Solomon is able to give an overview of what he's intending through the writing of the Proverbs that he has. Um, he s- then follows up that section with the first one where it just talks about avoiding the path of the violent. Um, he, he's just challenging and an, an the listener. And even you, you hear this and see this father-son conversation. Um, my son, listen to your father's words. You'll see that even in the first few chapters here. But uh, it talks about avoiding the path of the violent. Don't walk down the same path as him uh, because, in my paraphrase, you are who you hang out with. So be careful of that. Uh, you see this picture of wisdom, and then we get this personification uh, uh, of wisdom being a woman, and it breaks down the plea of wisdom. Uh, chapter two is in its entirety just talks about the worth of wisdom. Uh, so you'll read that and understand that in um, and, and explanation from Solomon. Chapter three of Proverbs, and I know I'm just hitting these, but it's they're going to be worth your time reading. Uh, chapter three, the first section deals with trusting in the Lord. Uh, and it's, and this is chapter three, five through 12. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge or know him and he will make your path straight. Many of us know that verse. I was going to say, you, you clearly memorized that as a kid because you went acknowledge because that's where yeah. my mind went to. Yeah. You, oh, it's Is true. it an IV? Is that what, it must've been a translation that we been. don't use yep. anymore. There you go. Um, but yeah, that's still true. That's not what it was on my notes. Anyways, uh, it's a verse many of us know, but it continues it, in verse seven. It says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son. Do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Many of us may have heard this from our parents if we grew up in a Christian home, um, where sometimes I remember being told, uh, I, I discipline you because I love you. Um, or I remember my dad when he was spanking my butt as a kid. This is this hurts me more than it hurts you. Liar. Like, yeah, right. Let me swing the paddle. You and you tell me. When I was um, when I was six years old, I got out of a spanking specifically because I, I told my dad, we can switch. And he started laughing and he couldn't do it. So it was a one-time deal. Never happened again. Yep. But, you know. But it some, nice. it's one worth remembering. It was so. a good time. Um, so the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. Um, and you see that in chapter 3, verse 5 um, through 12, talks about trusting the Lord, trusting in the Lord, no matter even if there's discipline or favor, trust in the Lord because he loves you and cares for you. Um, he then talks about the idea of wisdom bring his happiness and, and is in essence challenging and reminding uh, us even today that the value of pursuing wisdom and living according to wisdom. Uh, out of that wisdom, you talk, it talk, he talks about treating others fairly, uh, which I think is probably something that can preach for today because we're not always the best at treating people fairly. Um, what? So, but I'll leave that one alone. I'll let the Holy Spirit convict you as you read tra- Proverbs chapter three there. Uh, and then finally, Proverbs chapter four, one we're reading, uh, the last one we're reading this week, um, it, you get this picture, <clears throat> excuse me, of a father's example where he compares the idea of following a father or righteous, a righteous dad, if you will. 
Uh, he talks about two ways of life and he compares and contrasts, uh, he really contrasts the wisdom path versus the wicked path. Uh, and then finally, he talks about the straight path, which is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 to 27. Uh, and this is what wraps up the Proverbs reading this week for us. It says, my son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else. Again, another verse we're very familiar with. For it is the source of life. Do not let your mouth speak dishonestly and do not let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Uh, And that's where Proverbs ends this week, but it's such a great reminder about where we fix. It's just like, I always get the picture when I read stuff, Proverbs like this, or even thoughts like this about when we're, when I'm driving, where are my eyes? Are they looking directly in front of my car? Are they looking ahead to assess and then be able to drive and be safe based upon what I'm observing ahead of my time, which is why it's important to always look ahead. Um, So that's the end of Proverbs. That's the end of Solomon's, the start, I guess it really is the the end of the start of the wisdom of of Solomon. Uh, And that's what I got. Yeah. We haven't even really gotten to the bad stuff yet. We keep we keep foreshadowing that there's bad stuff with Solomon, but we're like two weeks away. So, but listeners, let me tell you, it's coming. It is coming. And then I'm also excited. I feel like I, I was so excited. We built this tier list. It's sitting on my computer. It's ready to go. And it's like, we haven't gotten to really use it yep, yet. We've but only put two, but that's coming too. Yeah. We're eventually, we're going to start putting, fire. Yeah. Eventually we're going to start putting like four or five a week on there, which will be cool, cool beans. But anyway, uh, well, that does wrap it up for the Bible portion of today, but we do want to talk about what we learned today. Uh, and for me, it's it's kind of funny. I just think it, it struck me reading Solomon's prayer of dedication that there is an acknowledgement of both corporate prayer and of, um, or sorry, I should say of corporate repentance and personal repentance. Um, and I think that as the kind of modern American church, we focus a lot on personal repentance, but we don't talk a ton about, and at least in the circles that I'm in, um, we don't talk about a ton about what it means to have corporate repentance. Um, and I think, and, and when we do, it's on a, it's a very large group, right? It's like the nation, like as, um, we don't talk about like, well, what does it look like um, to pray and repent as a family? Like, what does it look mm. like to pray and repent as a church? What, you know what I mean? Like kind of those sort of things where when you were, when we're realizing that we're falling short, um, obviously personal repentance, incredibly important. That's where it all starts. Um, but where does, where does, where do, where do we in our lives look at the groups that we're in and where do we see where we can actually bring things before the Lord in the context of that as well? Um, it's not a fully fleshed out application because I honestly haven't, I've never given this very much thought at all. Um, but kind of just, it just struck me a little bit of, um, what are, what are areas in that sense where, and, and again, where it's appropriate to, I think sometimes we, um, cause this is also very old covenant language in the sense of it's the people of Israel as a whole who have this covenant with God. Um, so I think sometimes we can go really far with trying to bring, um, trying to bring principles from the Old Testament into the New Testament. So I'm not saying like, this is something that needs to be like, just all the time, this is what we're doing. But yeah. it, it, it just kind of, it was just kind of interesting to me to look at um, what does that kind of corporate repentance look like under the new covenant that we're in today? Yeah, that's really good. Um, I was just simply saying, I kind of alluded to this a little bit. Um, you can be the wisest and richest in all the world and still miss it. Yep. Um, and that's, and even it's, it's, it's more, because again, we're foreshadowing what's to come. 
Uh, and if you've been with the podcast with us for any length of time beyond this year, uh, you already know some of the things that are coming because we've talked about it at length. Um, and we're going to talk about it again. But the reality, I think, is so so challenging and, and, and it's important for us to remember um, is you can be the wisest and richest and still miss it. Solomon missed it. I mean, going from Pharaoh's daughter and that whole issue, going from multiple, like it, it just, the way he was viewed from a worldly point of view is, was he was like the most incredible king ever to walk the face of the earth. But the problem was he missed it. And, and that, and that we'll see leads to the, the downfall of God's kingdom. It leads to division. It leads to destruction, it leads to exile. And not because of Solomon. It wasn't just because of Solomon. Uh, but he he was the wisest. He was the richest. And he still didn't remain faithful. And so if if that's the case for him, then I think it's even more dire for us to remember that we just need Jesus every day. Uh, in every situation, in every circumstance, in every moment, we just need Jesus. Um, and we've got to be willing to invite the Holy Spirit into our days uh, because he promises to walk with us. So it's praying that God would give us the awareness of his presence so that we can follow the lead of the Holy Spirit um, because we will miss it without his grace, his wisdom, and his direction. So um, it's such a stark kind of, as I was reading through Proverbs and things like that this week, um, and even started some for next week. I was like, "Man, Lord, there's there's so much depth here, and there's so much, so many challenging, convicting thoughts." And even Solomon missed it, and he's the one that penned these words by your inspiration. So I just think it's important to remember uh, not to get too too big headed, not to get too far ahead of yourself, and realize at the end of the day, we all need Jesus, and we need to be led by His Spirit and empowered by His Spirit to do what He's called us to do. Uh, so don't lose sight of that. Absolutely. Uh, well, that does wrap it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find our other resources on our website, grove.church, under the media tab. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. And hey, thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day.